This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Thursday night, September 14th, 2023. I think that uh, it'll be a day Red Sox fans remember for a long time because we got the news today. Heim Bloom, as some might have expected as we had debated on this show many a time before, fired as Red Sox chief baseball officer. It's a Fenway rundown, an emergency version. I'm Chris Cotillo at Fenway. We have Sean McAdam uh, alongside. It's a uh, one of those days you'll remember covering the team. I was about an hour before first pitch and they sent the email. They parted ways with Heim Bloom. And to say it goes into a fire drill for us after that would be understating it. But, Sean, just to start, your reaction to the news, first thing that comes to mind when you heard this today. Yeah, a little surprise, I think, Chris. Um, I think you and I both understood that this was a possibility either now or immediately after the season. I think you and I also thought that maybe um, he was going to get another year, another winter, to push the Red Sox over the line, to go out and spend a little bit more, to make them more of a contender in 2024. I can't say I was shocked, but a little bit surprised um, that the, at the timing of it, we, we, I think, both had the understanding and the educated guess that, as I said, he had another winter to complete the task, and uh, but ownership here has shown that it can be uh, pretty fickle when it comes to giving time to executives they've hired. This will be the third straight head of baseball operations who has not lasted more than four calendar years. And we'll be getting to that in a little bit. So it's the price of um, two last place finishes in his first three years and the potential, let's face it, despite the outcome of the doubleheader today, uh, the potential for it to happen again, if the Red Sox stumble at all here in the final two weeks and the Yankees pass them, we do know they won't be going to the playoffs. And so Heim Bloom's legacy is just one trip to the postseason in four. And that was deemed not good enough. I think for me, the the story here is just how mercurial the Red Sox have been all year to the point where it just, you know, it came down to, you know, if we had had this conversation three weeks ago, we, I think we were both saying he was safe. And then a bad few weeks, they fall out of the race and gone, you know. And I just think that to me, um, it's not like it was a snap decision. I know they've probably been considering this for a while. Um, but to go from, you know, oh, they're exceeding expectations. They're doing pretty well. The core is there. This has been a good year for Bloom. to the rumors of him, you know, getting fired, the, the stuff with Jared Carabas that heated up in the last few days, the Theo Epstein talk, you know, it felt like it got loud the last couple of weeks. And when it gets that loud, it's hard to ignore. You know, I know we talked a lot about how to cover it um, and kind of seeing some of the writing on the wall. Is that something? Is that not, you know, to go behind the scenes here, which I think we should do on the pod is, I texted Sam Kennedy last week. He said, you know, you came out last year in an interview with Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic and gave a vote of confidence this time of year for Alex Cora and Heim Bloom. Are you willing to do the same thing now? And he did not get back to me, which I think we know now why. You know, I wasn't going to run it and say they ignored it, so this means Heim's out, right? And then 
you know, yesterday he was not on his regularly scheduled Nesson appearance. Clearly there was big time talks going yeah, on. Not, not the just not on the appearance, but canceled, canceled. Right. Uh, that, on, on rather short order. Which is, you know, you look back and you can see, okay, you know, this was starting to percolate. And we were kind of, you know, I, I said, I think yesterday we were both here. I have a feeling it's not good journalism to run off feelings, but um, you could see kind of how that was becoming the story around here the last few weeks and yeah, kind of similar it, to, to the Dombrowski thing, right? Where it's like, oh, I don't see it happening. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. And then bang, it happens, you know, coincidentally, a September game against the Yankees. This time, thanks to the Red Sox, they're getting better at the timing of these things, not at 1230 a.m., but 1230 p.m., which I very much appreciated today. Um, but still, you know, when you look at the year as a whole, I think it was a good year for Heim Bloom up until this point, right? The core emerges, they exceed expectations a little bit. Um, the Red Sox ran and a lot patience. of And a lot of good free agency signings. Yeah. Uh, when you look at uh, uh, Jansen and Martin at the back end of the bullpen, uh, when you look at Yoshida in left field, that was a move that was highly criticized last December, that the Red Sox had grossly overpaid for this guy. How is he going to translate into Major League Baseball? And he's been a good offensive acquisition. We know that he's limited as a defender and uh, is not a great power hitter, but he's a certainly a more than useful offensive piece. So a lot of the things he did, uh, Justin Turner certainly was a positive. Um, a lot of the things he did in the last 12 months, uh, I, I think, put them in good stead for the future. We don't know about Turner's future here, Martin Jansen and Yoshida under control. Um, but it didn't translate to enough wins, and it didn't translate into what Sam Kennedy said, meaningful games in September and then playing into October. Usually I, I have a rundown of topics we're going to get to and questions to bounce off you. We didn't do that today. This is an emergency pod in every uh, way, shape, and form a few hours after the news. So I'll just ramble with three thoughts I have on this whole thing. Number one, uh, if Heimblum's tenure was defined by not having enough urgency, this is a very urgent move by the Red Sox as an organization. For fans that are wondering, are they still committed? This was a, a pretty like, you know, we're, we're doing this and we're doing it now and we need to be better. And it's kind of a, an urgent, is it an overreaction maybe, but is it uh, a, a move that they, you know, uh, kind of a, a bold move to make? I think that shows the fans and, and Sam's big words today, which we've heard before, you know, I thought the tone today was different than it was four years ago with Dombrowski's ouster. Um, today was about, we need to win. We need to win now. We need to win championships. We need to win. Last time was buzzwords, sustainability, consistency, all that stuff we heard, and, and ultimately why they brought Heim in. On that note, my second point, they asked Heim Bloom to come in and execute a long-term plan. Is four years long enough to really do that? That's something I, I have a little bit of a problem with. I know that at the end of the day, it's Boston and you know last place finishes say a lot and not a lot of wins in those years tell the story, but they asked him to execute this long-term plan, and it felt like with the, the core we've talked about, you know, just going around the diamond, Casas, Bayo, Crawford, Wong, Duran, you've seen Rafaela and Abreu the last couple of weeks, and Story under control, Endeavors, all these guys, right? Like, you saw that plan coming together and felt like they were on the, the precipice of seeing it out, and to have him not be able to see it through feels a little bit strange to me. And as you wrote today earlier, you know, someone's going to inherit a great situation. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, and um, and also, 
the unpredictability of ownership here, where they swing back and forth between we got to win now to, well, we can't be spending $240 million every year on big free agency because that doesn't uh, that doesn't lead to a successful business. And we have to have a minor league system that is going to provide cheaper alternatives through the pipeline. And then what do you know, after a few years where that is resulting in some 500 or worse seasons, they get impatient and swing back again. And I'm wondering, uh, as we talk about potential replacements, and we'll get to that later, you know, are, is that pendulum going to swing back again? You think about Theo Epstein uh, being replaced by Ben Charrington. Charrington was definitely in the player development school of emphasizing uh, the minor league system and, and producing a lot of the young players that became part of that 2018 team. But when it didn't produce results, they got an itchy trigger finger and went to Dave Dombrowski. And then when Dombrowski made noise that he wanted to keep spending and trying to win every year, they said, whoa, we're not ready to do that. We need somebody who's going to be what Ben Charrington was. So they brought in Hein Bloom. And wouldn't you know it, he didn't win fast enough to their liking. And I wonder now if they go back to more of a quick fix guy, a Dave Dombrowski veteran guy who's going to make big dramatic moves, who's going to put this team across the finish line in 2024. I mean, it can make your head spin watching the moves and the philosophical changes that this ownership goes through on a three or four year basis. And that goes into the last point that I have here. And this is probably the column idea that is so more strongly percolating in my head, but the, the whole idea of, you know, I'm bloom lost his job because he stuck to his principles for so long. He never panicked. He never made the move. Even at the trade deadline, you know, as we said, we were both in Seattle right after that deadline that's a guy who's not worried about job security. He didn't go out and trade, let's say, and this is a hypothetical, Rafaela for Aaron Savali because he wanted to see this through. He wanted to stick to the long term. He didn't make any moves because, you know, he thought he was in jeopardy or the organization needed a boost or, would, you know, ignite the clubhouse, whatever it is. He stuck by his principles and ultimately his principles were to be methodical, to act slowly, and it ended up costing him his job ultimately. And I think, um, it's just, you know, I, I think he was tasked with a very tough situation. I'm not saying every move he made was a good one. I know we've been debating all day the good moves and the bad moves and you know, the bad ones perhaps outweigh the good ones. I just think, to me, they asked him to come in, build this thing for the long haul. And to do that, it takes time. And they didn't give him enough time to do that in my mind. Yeah, and I think it was unfortunate that Sam Kennedy didn't give any context to a lot of this today, mm -hmm. where he was asked, at what point did you make this decision? Was there a turning point? Well, we don't want to go back and revisit the past. We're all about looking ahead to the future. That's right. fine. But in, in in the spirit of transparency, you know, was he given any sort of ultimatum at the deadline? Hey, uh, you and I had heard whispers that around baseball, there was the expectation that if Bloom didn't get to the postseason, that he might be in trouble. Was that the case? Did he, was he told that? Were they, as some people reported, unhappy that he wasn't more aggressive and trying to add to the roster at the deadline? Did it have anything to do with how they played since the, the third week of August, where that 16-game stretch without a day off broke them? 
where the holes in the starting rotation got exposed, where there was declining attendance at Fenway. I, I think too much was made of the sparse attendance the other day mm-hmm. uh, in the first of the two doubleheaders with the Yankees, where there were maybe 10 or 12,000 people in the ballpark. You have to look at the circumstances there. It was rained out from the night before. We're in yeah, that, that's not, that's not back the reason Bloom was fired. No, I'm not saying it was, but also about this or th- this ownership is that they worry about optics and PR and the they fact do, and then they do such a horrible job of it. You know, like right. we're not going to well, get John Henry on this. We're not going to get Tom Warner on this and, you know, kind of an unsatisfactory Sam Kennedy conversation today too. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're not doing a good job explaining their vision or why they've done things. And I guess technically they don't owe us uh, an explanation, but I think they owe the fans and we are the conduit. I don't want to turn this into a media bitching situation. That's not the story here. But I, I have think my we Zoom, I have my Zoom work have some that. sort of understanding about what led to what happened today. Was it an accumulation of things? Uh, was this a follow-up on some sort of ultimatum that he had been given and ignored or didn't carry out? Uh, they're really, other than the fact that we understand that this is the third year that they didn't make the postseason under him. Um, but a little context would have been nice. But this ownership has long given up trying to provide that or much in the way of communication, period. And the other option there, the other possibility for why is infighting. You know, it's been impossible, I think, to ignore the noise about, you know, Alex Cora and Heim Bloom not always seeing eye to eye on everything and asked about that today, you know, point blank. Alex says, it's like you pointed at me. You probably don't agree with your coworkers on everything and damn straight. Well, that's not true. Um, and of course, uh, and the, uh, he pointed to Smith sitting next to me, which we could do a whole pod on that. Um, but I think that, you know, there's so many rumors about Alex Cora having that win now mentality. Alex Cora came into this position and this job as manager in Boston with Dave Dombrowski basically as his personal Santa Claus hey, I need a right-handed hitter who can hit lefties. It's the end of June. I know trades aren't happening. Well, okay, Alex, here's Steve Pierce. You know, that type of thing that would just anything he wanted throughout that season um, and really throughout 2019 at times, like Dave was that guy. Heim was not. And I think that frustrated the on-field staff at times, the lack of urgency. Um, and, you know, it just, to me, is what game is Alex Cora playing here? And that, I think, is is probably the next thing we should get to is an, another big takeaway is Alex Cora might have the most power in this organization. If he stays and Heim goes, if he's working an angle to elevate the Heim's chair, whatever it is, you know, Alex has a lot of pull when it comes to ownership. And I think that's more clear today than ever. Yes, yeah, certainly. And he did nothing uh, with his evasive answers uh, post-game, after game one, to dissuade anyone from thinking that he has his eye on the big chair in the organization, that is GM or president of baseball operations. He, he wouldn't get into it. He wouldn't say if it was something that interested him. He kept deflecting, saying, mm-hmm. well, we're going to finish out the year and play hard. I'm going to do the press conference, stay around for a few days, and then go home and get ready for next year. Doing what? Managing? Being the general manager, leaving the organization. Managing the Mets. Under, pardon me? Managing the Mets. Right. You know, there, there's any number of possibilities out there. 
And on, on a day where we were looking for some direction and some clarity, Alex Cora didn't offer much. Uh, he has said in the past that he uh, would relish the challenge of being in that front office role and has pointed out that he has served as the GM both in winter ball and in the WBC. And you and I have talked and pointed out that that is a far cry from the duties of being the president of baseball operations for a major league franchise. There's almost no connection between the two. You're asking players to give up a couple of weeks of spring training every three years to play for their country. That is a very different job than being the president of baseball operations for a major league team like the Boston Red Sox, where you have to manage hundreds, literally hundreds of people five minor league affiliates, oversee nutrition, sports medicine, science, negotiations, trades, free agency, arbitration, none of which Alex Cora has any experience in. Uh, I'd be surprised. I'd like to say I'd be surprised if he got this job, but the way things have been run around here, I, I, I'm I'm taking myself out of that category and saying that I wouldn't be surprised at anything that might happen. I will I say that I think the Red Sox are going to, again, find some difficulty in luring candidates here because of the reputation they have created for themselves with a quick turnover. You get four years and the door. And that has been the policy here for the last three general managers. Let's call it GMs just to make it simple language wise. Mm -hmm. Two of whom, by the way, have won World Series for them. One of them was gone, uh, you know, two plus years after that happened. The other was gone less than a year after winning 108 games and having presided over and put together much of what is considered to be one of the best Red Sox teams of all time, the 2018 Red Sox and Dave Dombrowski. So we've seen how fickle it is. Don't think that that hasn't been observed and noted throughout the game. You could be a young general manager, um, somebody looking to take that next big step, maybe go to a franchise where they're going to spend more, maybe go to a franchise where there's more history, maybe where there's more interest. But if you're Chris Antonetti in Cleveland or you're Derek Falvey in Minnesota, why would you give up a job that you can keep for a long time to come here and know that the minute you sign on, you're on the clock and you have four years to win or else, and even that, as Dave Dombrowski can tell you, may not be enough to save you. And, you know, it's we don't know what ownership is thinking at any time. And you said no media bitching. That's not what this is. Fans don't know what ownership is thinking at any time. And I will note, as I have, I think, throughout the year, it's not just John Henry and Tom Warner who are not accessible at all. Sam Kennedy has not been visible this year in really any way, shape, or form. He's not been around. For whatever reason, I know he sat, sat up there and talked today and, and does his pregame hits and does EEI every week, whatever that is. But he has been less visible. No, you know, there's no debate on that. Um, I do think, to your point, to, to, to battle back a little bit, at the end of the day, there are 30 of these jobs. Getting the president of baseball operations job for the Red Sox, you know, maybe if it's your top line candidate, with Derek Falvey, Chris Antonetti, guys like that, they'd be a little hesitant. But a guy who was in Bloom's chair four years ago, right? Like the number two somewhere who's never had that opportunity. If you're talking about, you know, some of these names that have come out today, whether it be Brandon Gomes or Sam Fold or some of these guys, they're going to jump for it. 
it's the GM of the Red Sox, no matter what. I think, you know, it might decapitate you a little on those very, very high end guys where you are, you know, trying to lure like the Cubs did with Theo a few years ago. Um, or, or the Mets just did with David Stearns. Right, right. And isn't that who the Red Sox should be in the market for? If you're the Boston Red Sox and you sit up there and say what Sam Kennedy said today, that is, we want to be in the business of having a chance to win the World Series every year. You want the best executive you can get. Uh, I mean, talk about playing the long game in Flushing, New York. Uh, Steve Cohen waited two and a half to three years to get his hands on David Stearns. Right. Because he was, he was a little overrated anyway, but go ahead. Well, maybe, but that was the guy he identified. He had to wait him out. He had to have Stearns essentially recuse himself from his present job and sit around and do nothing for 10 months before being eligible to talk to other but he got the guy he was after and are, are are the red sox not asking themselves you know uh maybe we want a guy who's proven himself as the number one someplace else it doesn't mean that you can't find a good executive and hire him and promote him the way they did with Heimblum, say what you will about the results. I think people, you know, Heimblum will work again in this business and he'll be a GM and he'll probably have some success. But if you want someone who is a proven commodity because you are one of the legacy franchises in the sport, you're going to have a hard time getting a number one to leave. Maybe you'll do a good job in identifying a really good number two who can grow in the job and meet the challenge. But if you're looking to steal a really proven winner and a guy who checks all the boxes for you, I predict they're going to get a lot of hangups in their phone calls. And that's we'll end with this because it's a, you know, there's so many different ways we could go with this. Plenty of follow ups to not only write, but also pod in the weeks ahead. Your prediction on what they do here. I'm not going to give a name because it's way too early. My head's spinning. We've been doing this for nine hours now. Um, I think it's going to be somebody in that experience bracket who's had success before, but is not in one of those jobs. So think Dombrowski-ish again. Brian Sabian. Sabian. Brian Sabian makes a lot of sense. John Daniels is a guy who makes some sense. You know, I know that, you know, he kind of went under the radar in Texas just because it's, you know, for some reason the Rangers are a little bit forgotten, but had a pretty good situation there. Yeah, won a couple of pennants. Right. I mean, trying to think who else is out there. Dayton Moore is is on the market. I don't know if that's a great fit, um, but somebody like Sabian or Daniels to me, you know, makes a lot of sense. They've ruled out Theo. I wouldn't rule out Alex Cora just because I think he does have that pull on ownership. And I do think that he could sit them down. This is a guy who convinced them, you know, to hire him in 2017. He convinced them to bring him back in really controversial circumstances three years later, including Bloom. And I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, made the effort to convince them again. And if he does, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to go for it. I'm not saying he's the most likely. Um, Sam Fold is a guy that makes sense just because they were really close to hiring him as manager and there's familiarity there. Um, I think so that's I, gonna be an interesting phone call Hi, Dave, we'd like to request to speak to your underling to promote him and take the job you once had. Well, I'm only doing the impression once per pod, so we'll have to come back Tuesday for the answer. But, you know, that's interesting. I'll go with Sabian or Daniels as the two guys I think would be, you know, those guys have kind of that presence about them, you know, and I think that that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I just think that the whole, like, 
elevating a young number two again is just you're going back to what you just did. And I'm not I, I'm higher on high and bloom. Call me Bluminati, call me whatever you will than anybody or a lot of people, I should say. Not anybody. There are people out there who are higher, but um, I just don't think that number two thing is going to happen again. I think they should go out and get somebody like, you know, Sabian Daniels, whoever it may be. Yeah. And I'll close with this. I'm not making any prediction, though. I, I think you uh, are right on when you talk about them likely getting someone who's been a number one before to bring in, whether it's, uh, you know, convincing someone to leave a number one spot or someone who's currently not in that role. That would be interesting. I will say, and some people say they don't want to hear it. That's okay. Um, I think you and I feel the same about Hein Bloom as a person, as an individual. Uh, he was a principled, is a principled guy, uh, somebody with a lot of integrity. Um, from our standpoint, we could usually get a hold of him if we needed him. Um, I, I think we're not telling tales out of school when we say he was not one to share a lot he wasn't one to leak information he wasn't one to but he he would especially toward the end explain you know and i yeah. think he did a great job explaining kind of behind the scenes conversations I, I think he did a better job with that than he explained to the fan base and i think that hurt him too yeah i I'm, i i just wanted to you know recognize that uh he was a uh, an honorable guy and a man of his word and um and you know somebody i enjoyed covering uh we're, we're not supposed to play favorites here and uh I, i'm not i'm just peeling the curtain back a little bit and telling people that uh you know you can dislike some trades and signings and things he did but i'm here to tell you that heimblum was a good person and um you know we wish him luck yeah, I think he was he was great to deal with, you know, especially as time went on. I remember it was not an easy GM to start covering just based on the fact 2020 was his first year. You know, that 2020 spring training, we were starting to get to know him, starting to get to be acclimated. And then you couldn't talk to him in person for really, you know, a year plus. And I think the next conversation in person probably happened you know, after in the 2021 ALDS when he, they had beaten the Rays, I think, you know, kind of the great best moment of his tenure over time, you know, and, and I know a few people on the beat feel this way. When he sat down and explained something to you, you understand, you understood the vision. You started to see the process. Yeah, um, he, he did things for a reason. He was a yeah. smart guy. I mean, anybody who spent 30 seconds talking to him could come And away. you know what? And this is something that's always irritated me and, you know, the whole idea of nerd clone this guy does not have people skills all that stuff is all bullshit he was a very and I, we talk about him in the past tense he's fired not dead um he is a very normal like personable guy yep. who just is extremely bright and okay he knows how to look at statistics that doesn't mean he's the you know yeah it doesn't mean Mr. he's Pocket Square. people skills and he had plenty of people skills i think the players really liked him i think justin turner today talking about him going over and visiting him every day as he was recovering from the facial injury in fort myers that's the kind of guy we're talking about so i think in that way unfortunate it didn't work out here and another fascinating chapter in red sox history closes you've seen a lot of them and a lot of them and just think of this, so 60, year, 60 year on the beat, I'm on my third, going to be on my third GM if you want to talk about change and, and turnover. And that's part of the problem, not you, but for them. Right. Well, this has been the Fenway Rundown. An emergency fired up version will be back Tuesday, probably a little calmed down on what we'll expect is a less newsy day for the Red Sox, but you never know.
This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.